Hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett giving you part two of the message of why is it so hard to obey God? And sometimes I wish it was easier to obey God, but if it was easy, everybody would do it, right? But I want you to know that God has given us everything that we need so that we can be completely obedient to Him. And so as we look at this, I want to give you a quick review of what we've already covered. Uh, Just in case you missed the broadcast yesterday, I don't want you to miss anything, okay? I want you to know that it's hard to obey God sometimes because as we look at our lives, our love can be fickle. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, Sometimes you can love something and then the very next few minutes you don't love that same thing or that same person. Our love is fickle because we tend to be fickle people. You know, the Bible says an unstable man is double-minded and he's unstable in all of his ways. A double-minded person, dual-minded, like I love one person and then I hate that person. Uh, Listen, if you can overcome fickle love and love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, then you will have freedom. Freedom to obey him, even though it's hard. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then we learn, secondly, that it's hard to obey because our thinking can be faulty. Oh, yes, this is so true, right? Our thinking can be faulty, and uh, we can think something that is not true, but we don't realize it's not true, and then we get stuck on following faulty maps. So when you think about freedom, for example, freedom is not the absence of restrictions. It's the presence of the right kind of restrictions. So God gives us His Word called the Bible. And it's not to oppress us, it's not to limit us, but they are actually blueprints on how to uh, unleash our fullest potential, like the owner's manual of your car. We've learned thirdly that it's difficult to obey because not only is our love fickle, not only are our thoughts faulty, but our fears can become fatal. What is your number one fear? You will not get past whatever your greatest fear is. As I go through times where I am battling fear, I remind myself of Psalm 46. God is my refuge. God is my strength. God is an ever-present help in trouble. Because of that, I'm not going to fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, I will not be driven by fear because God is my refuge. God is my strength. And when I need his help, he's an ever-present help in my times of trouble. You see, it doesn't matter what you're going through. In those times of fear, God is there for you. You know, we recently we had the opportunity to go to the Smoky Mountains and spend some time in Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge, and and uh, the place was packed. You know, we go during a very busy time of the year, and one of the things that I wanted to do was they had this very long suspension bridge, and it's over 700 feet long. Just an amazing bridge in my mind, and and I says, you know, I want to go across that thing. But in order to go across that thing, uh, you had to take up this ski lift to go up to the top of this mountain, and then you had to go and walk on this this bridge that kind of would would shake in the wind. And and so I had my son and my my daughter-in-law with us, and they they wanted to go. I said, okay, sure, uh, we'll take you across. We'll go across that. We'll have a great time as we go across that. And I noticed as we were going up, there was some trepidation, right? As a matter of fact, they took a picture of us as we're going up the ski lift, and uh, you could see the fear on some of our faces, okay? And some were not afraid to go up the ski lift, but then when they got to the bridge, uh, they were a little more fearful. And, and so I actually snapped a few pictures 
of people uh, that were experiencing fear. He said, what are you, crazy taking pictures of people filled with fear? And I was trying to do it for a purpose of understanding why different things are causing fear with different people, where some weren't afraid of the ski lift, some weren't afraid to go across the bridge. But as we go across this particular bridge and you get two-thirds of the way across it, where the board should be, they put plexiglass. So there's a section about 10, maybe 12 feet that you walk across that you are walking across glass. And so you're looking down and you see just how far off the ground you are. Now, there's really nothing to be afraid of. The glass is thick and uh, it is secure. The bridge is very secure and uh, it has these extremely thick cables on both sides that are, are securing this. And and even to keep it from swaying too much, they have cables on the side, so it only sways but so much. But I noticed that one particular lady who was right behind me, when we got to that point where the plexiglass was on the floor, she stopped. And she says, oh no, I, I can't do this. I cannot do this. Fear just overtook her, right? Uh, she was okay, as long as there was boards underneath her steps. But when she got to that plexiglass area, all of a sudden she became filled with fear. Uh, so I encouraged her. I says, I says, can I help you across? And she had a little child with her. So I said, can I help you across? And she said, no, 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 I got it. She said, just talk to me. And so I did. I just talked to her as she walked across that, and that helped to alleviate her fear. But you know, fear can be fatal. If you are following your fears, it will lead you to a dead end. As I think about overcoming fear, perfect love casts out all fear. When I know how much Jesus loves me, that is a perfect love that I receive from him. It eradicates fear from me. When I have false evidence that appears real, that's fear, that is the opposite of faith. It is difficult to obey God because our love can be fickle, our thoughts can be faulty, our fears can be fatal. And then number four is that our hopes can be fleeting. You know, we're told that we're to hold firmly to the hope that we have confessed because we can trust God to do what he has promised. Now, the dangers of complaining and using dashed hopes as a reason to be complacent or to disobey is that our hopes, when they're gone, we have nothing to rest on. When our hopes are dashed, we can easily worship a false god. It can become the God of complaining. In Jonah, Jonah cries out and he says, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercy. So when we are not operating in hope, we are turning our back on God's mercy. And there's really no rounds for us to go except to be a chronic complainer. One pastor shared this illustration about complaining. He's out on a date with his wife and the oldest child is put in charge of watching the younger children, and they come home and the house is dark, but the kids are not in the bedrooms asleep. You hear a sound of whispering in the basement, and you walk down and you see a sheet over your kids, and they have a flashlight, and the conversation goes like this. I wish dad had a better job. Is he lazy? We never have the nice things that the Joneses have. We can't take a, a, a nice vacation. Why doesn't he take better care of us? And then another child chimes in. I'm so sick of mom's rules. Go to school. Clean your room. Who does she think she is? 
I'm not going to take her bossy ways anymore. As you listen to this conversation, at first you are deeply hurt. We've tried so hard and done so much. How could it not be enough? But I know, parents, uh, that will only last about 10 seconds. And then your hurt turns toward anger when you think, the nerve of these children. We work so hard for them, and it's never enough. These little runts, they have no idea of how much we sacrifice for them. And now take that out of the context of imperfect parents and think about your attitude toward your Heavenly Father. He hears everything we say and think. We think we are positive and upbeat, but He knows just how much we complain. In the hearing of our perfect Father in Heaven, there is only one antidote to a complaining spirit. Admit it, confess it, turn from it, and then replace it with thanksgiving. And that's what will drive out the fear out of our lives. That's what will bring back the hope into our lives. You see, when I think about children, children and adults really are afraid of the same things. A recent article in a paper said that fear, as we look at fear, fear of childhood fear versus adult fears, and they tend to be about the same things. Childhood fear, doctors. Adults fear Dr. Bills. Childhood fear, they have bad dreams. Adult fear is they have unfulfilled dreams. In childhood, you may fear strangers. In adults, you will feel, you know, the crippling social anxiety. As a child, you may fear clowns. As an adult, you fear clowns. The article notes that the fears of children are often discounted as irrational or silly by us who are older, wiser adults. They are not far from our own fears. They're proof that no matter how old we get, we're never alone in our fears. It says in the end, however, it would seem that there is a line of logic that explains why the most common fears among adults are often as irrational as those of children. You see, every one of us have fears, fears of the unknown, There will always be uncertainty about our jobs and our relationships and our finances and our health and any other daily concerns that we may have. Is there a way to avoid this downward spiral of anxiety? In a world of chaos, as the world we're living in, you can replace uncertainty with certainty. As you think how you do that, you put your confidence and hope in Christ. On Christ the solid rock I stand, All other ground is sinking sand. You see, when we begin to lose our hope, it is easy for us to realize we have lost our confidence in God Himself. Oh, it's hard to obey God because our hopes can be fleeting. There's a fifth reason why it is hard to obey God and His commands is because our feelings can be ferocious. You know, I think about loving my wife. Sometimes the feelings are there of love and euphoria. I've got to admit, sometimes they're not. But because I love my wife, because I want to plan and I want to, I want to live with my wife till death do us part, there's certain things I don't base my relationship on with her. I, I don't base it exclusively on feelings because they can be ferocious. Even as I think about feelings, 
It seems that folks sometimes offer biblical encouragements like fear nots and do not be anxious and so on, as if the heart were a cup full of fear and anxiety that needs to be emptied of those emotions and then be filled with alternative emotions. However, it fails to understand that sorrow and fear and anxiety are not always sinful emotions. In fact, such emotions and such feelings can constitute appropriate responses to that loss that we have. The heart is more like a scale, specifically a balanced scale, the kind often used as a symbol for justice among its two sides weigh different arguments and positions in the process of reaching a true and a righteous judgment. So a proper use of biblical encouragement and exhortation will take this picture of the heart into account. Instead, biblical encouragement should be offered as counterweights. Doing so might look like this. I know your heart is heavy and filled with sorrow, and rightfully so, due to a loss of some good things. Uh, that it is overwhelmed by present circumstances. I think about just yesterday, I, I had a man share with me uh, a broken heart over a health condition that his wife is experiencing. You know, I didn't say this, man. Well, just suck it up. You know, so what? Your wife's got this bad health condition. Uh, that would be the most insensitive and the most unhelpful thing I could do. Instead, I knew his heart was heavy with sorrow. He was about to lose something good. And it overwhelmed him. That circumstance overwhelmed him. As we look to bring a counterweight, the counterweight is not to remove those emotions, but to place them in relationship to a higher reality, the reality of God's goodness, God's attention, God's purpose, which offered solid reasons for encouragement and hope in the midst of trial. These counterweights do not remove the other weights of our hearts. Rather, they provide consolations that enable our hearts to bear the weight of sorrow, to bear the weight of anxiety and the weight of fear as we go through carrying this veil of tears. You see, until we arrive at our, our, our destination, we're going to have times of fear, times of feelings gone astray, but the unshakable beatitudes of the presence of a triune God is what will get us through the difficult times. Well, we've got to continue on. As we think about why is it so difficult to always obey God, it's because our love is fickle. Our love for Christ is fickle. Our, our thoughts can sometimes be faulty. Uh, sometimes we have that stinking thinking going on and we're not thinking properly. And sometimes fears creep in, and, and these fears can debilitate us. Uh, sometimes our hopes are fleeting. Sometimes our feelings can be very ferocious. And then number six, our minds tend to be forgetful. In other words, it's so easy for us to forget the many blessings that God has given to us. Uh, for example, when it comes to being offended, it seems that my mind is very good at remembering who has offended me, why they offended me, when they offended me, and how much they offended me. But when it comes to remembering those who have truly blessed me, it seems that I get to be a little bit forgetful. When I think of God's goodness to me, I tend to be a little forgetful. So that's why we must focus on the good 
the good memories that God has given to us. You know, before coming over to record the broadcast today, I was reading through a bunch of cards that uh, the Awana children had put together. As our church celebrated our 25th anniversary, our children's director thought it'd be a great idea to have the Awana children write cards to their pastor. And so I read these dozens and dozens of cards that were on my desk when I came home uh, from a recent trip. And as I'm reading through these cards, I'm just overwhelmed with the love of these children and and the humor of these children. Uh, One of the cards said, thank you for being our poster. They spelled pastor, poster. And so I took that to mean, I guess I'm a poster pastor now. And then one of the cards that the kids wrote talked about the fact that they loved our, our church and they loved our pastor. And, uh, and, and it just going through the whole of all these cards, and they were so encouraging. But you know, it's so easy for us to forget those words of encouragement. It wasn't too long after that I got a phone call that caused my mind to forget about everything. Uh, that was good, and all those cards that were written, and then I, I had to deal with an issue that I really didn't want to deal with, but it was an issue of, of, of a man who's not where he needs to be in his relationship with his wife, and, and all of a sudden, my mind was forgetful of the good things of the Lord. The psalmist put it this way, Psalm 49, can a woman forget the baby that she nurses Can she feel no kindness for the child to which she gave birth? Even if she could forget her children, I will not forget you. God will never forget you. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forsaken you. Hebrews 6.10 tells us that God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you showed for his name when you served the saints. And you continue to serve them. Isaiah 26.3 says that God will keep us in perfect peace, those whose mind is steadfast because they trust in you. You see, if you remember what you should forget, you will forget what you should remember. When your mind is wrongly focused, it wreaks havoc on your memory. As a matter of fact, neuroscientists call forgetfulness an advantage. As we age, many of us become distressed about our ability, or rather our inability, to recall names and words or ideas as quickly as we used to. But according to a new study, perhaps there is a good reason for us not to be so upset. Dr. Ryan and and Dr. Frank Lind summarized in an article, SciTechDaily.com, that changes in our ability to access specific memories are based on environmental feedback and predictability. Rather than being a bug, forgetting may be a functional feature of the brain, allowing it to interact dynamically with the environment. Even so, what we think of as forgetting is not as a permanent state of being. You see, memories are stored with ensembles of neurons and and cells, and forgetting occurs when a cell cannot be reactivated. The memories themselves are still there, but it's as if the memories are stored in a safe place where you can't remember it, you can't remember the code to unlock it. Now, now some of that is to protect us, especially from things that are extremely painful and, and extremely hurtful. But as we look at this, 
we have been able to adapt to new circumstances. Our brains automatically learn to prioritize certain memories to allow others to go into cold storage. This cognitive adaptation, though occasionally may be embarrassing, does have an upside. In a changing world, forgetting some memories can be beneficial as this leads to the more flexible behavior and better decision-making. If memories were gained in circumstances that are not wholly relevant to the current environment, forgetting them can be a positive change that improves our well-being. Now, I can't think of a better place for this to work than the place of forgiveness. Selectively forgetting those offenses that we have already given forgiveness to. Not dwelling on them, but putting them in cold storage so that we can actively live in the present without regurgitating the past. You know, Jesus knew that this was going to be an issue. He knew that when he left his disciples, they had all these memories of him being there and they were going to be troubled. So Jesus said to them in John 14, I'm going to give you something better than a memory of me. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives you. In other words, I'm not going to try to make everything perfect in your life. We are living in a sin-cursed world. I'm not going to try to set a, a picture of perfection. I'm not going to give you false peace. I'm going to give you peace that is different. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. For you heard me say that I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you'd be glad that I'm going to my Father, for my Father is greater than I. And then Jesus talks about giving them the Holy Spirit. That is how they're going to have the peace to navigate through the difficulties of life. Forgetting the bad, focusing on the good. Well, there's another reason why we struggle to obey God's commands. Our love tends to be fickle. Our thoughts can be sometimes faulty. Our fears can be fatal. Our hopes are sometimes fleeting. Our feelings can be very ferocious. And our minds can be forgetful. But the seventh reason why sometimes we have a hard time obeying the Lord is because our hearts can be frantic. We are so busy with the affairs of this world that we can be running around and unable to give the focus to the Lord that we want and we should. You know, when I think about prayer, prayer is the best way to keep that heart that is frantic, to keep that heart at peace. You know, a businessman was late for a very important meeting and he couldn't find a parking space. As he frantically circled the block, the man got so desperate that he decided to pray. Looking up to heaven, he said, Lord, take pity on me. If you find a parking space, I'll go to church every Sunday for the rest of my life, and none of that, I'll give up drinking. Well, miraculously, a parking place appeared. The guy looked up in heaven again and says, Well, never mind, Lord, I found one. And isn't that how we are when our hearts are frantic? We are told that we must change our hearts and change our lives. 
Acts 3.19 says, come back to God and, and he will forgive you of your sins. The Lord will send you a time of rest. A time of rest. All of us need that time of rest where we can trust the Lord to get us through a difficult time. You know, not too long ago, I read this fascinating but rather unpleasant story. The story is true, and it has the qualities of a good mystery. There was a 9-11 call that was made to the police, and the police, they showed up to a home in which a woman was lying lifeless on the kitchen floor. Now, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story tomorrow because we are out of time. But if you will tune in tomorrow for the broadcast, I'm going to give you the rest of the story of what happened to this person that was found lifeless on the kitchen floor. In the meantime, I want to pray for you. Lord, I pray for every person that is listening to this broadcast. I ask that the Spirit of God go through this broadcast, whether it be on the radio or on the podcast, that it will touch the hearts of everyone who is listening, that they will have a love for God that is not fickle, that they will have a mind focused on Christ in Christ alone, that you will empower them to be all that you want them to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, if I can help you, shoot me a text at 252-267-2365. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the broadcast. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.